Well, you can be thankful today. This is uh, the end of the road. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Um, to, uh, part of what I'm talking about today, the characteristics of the, of the church as we grow together, has to do with accountability and humility. Uh, I told you a story once before when I spoke about a pastor uh, who had got invited to speak at a big natural, national conference. And when he got up to speak, the fellow introducing him said, at the end of this uh, big introduction, and now I want you to hear one of the truly great, great, great men of our time. So he spoke, and there was a lot of applause. On the way home, they're driving home. He's driving his wife, sitting in the seat beside him. And, he, and he's just quiet, not saying a word. His wife says, okay, what is it? And he says, well, I've just been thinking, how many truly great, great, great men do you think there are in the world? That hesitation, she says, one less than you do. <laughs> uh, every morning I got gotten into the habit of working out a little bit. Um, I, I tell everybody it's so I can continue to eat in the way I'm accustomed to. And so, uh, I, and sometimes I use these little dumbbells, you know, and I try to uh, just try to kind of uh, keep in shape. And so one day on my birthday, there was an envelope on my dresser and I opened it up in the card, and uh, it looked, oh, wait a minute, this is the direction, this was it. <laughs> <laughs> Underneath the part that got clipped off says self-image. <laughs> and and there's, a, there's a place for all of us for accountability, part of which helps us to stay humble. It's important. Uh, as, as the people of God. And so as, as, we, as we work today, we're looking at grace, the presence of God, building a people of God. Those are the first two weeks. Now this week, for unified and mature service. That's the purpose. That God is honing us to be his hands and his feet, his voice in his creation to bring about uh, the restoration of that creation. And so the, in the letter of the Ephesians, Paul begins... Uh, with, with uh, very foundational teaching about what it means to be the people of God and our foundational identity as the people of God called by Jesus to carry out the work of God to restore his creation. Paul writes to a congregation that represents the entire body of Christ. Uh, he's, he's writing to the Ephesians specifically, but if he writes to them, he's writing to all believers, and he's even writing, not knowing it at that moment, perhaps, that he's writing to us as well generations and generations of the followers of Jesus that have come from the Ephesian church and other churches of Paul's time. Paul will challenge them to live daily a life worthy of this calling. Uh, if you had scales, we used to use scales to measure things a lot now, and, and uh, in the old scales it was a balanced beam with two little buckets on them, and if you wanted to buy a pound of peanuts, then uh, the person in the store would a pound weight on one end, and it would make it fall, and the other end would come up, and then it start pouring peanuts in, and when they came level, you had a pound of peanuts, right? They were equal to each other. And he's saying, think about this calling and what all of it means and what it might mean for each of us and all of us together to live a life worthy of that. And so as Paul does this, though, it's important to remember he's writing to real people. That's, that's very, very important. Um, people just like us. Now, they live in a different time, and they look different, and their culture looked a little bit different, but the underlying things that they went through were like the same as we would. <clears throat> Please get over that first century uh, 
uh, church mystique that tries to see them as these people above all people living a life that we aren't capable of living kind of stuff. That's baloney. Peter denied Jesus three times, right? James and John wanted to bring down fire from him to destroy a whole village just because they rubbed their feathers a little bit. And Paul persecuted the church, bringing some to their death before his time of conversion. In Ephesus, there were families, homes, a marketplace, schools, occupations that people kept, taxes to be paid. They had dreams, they had hopes, they had fears, they had frustrations, they had pressures. They had personalities like we do that they had to deal with, and they all carried emotional baggage just like we do. Um, they had the whole nine yards, as we would say. They were people like us. And so as Paul writes this, don't think of this being written to people who somehow could handle it in a way we can't. He, he was writing to people uh, just like us. And so as we do that, um, I think I have to hold it down. There we go. The, 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 the six characteristics we're going to look at are community, unity, maturity, Stability, accountability, and humility. And I just want to like to start with like um, dictionary definitions of these and then show how they weave together at the end, have a summary and bring them all together and talk about how grace works in, in, in each of these and all of them together. Community comes from the word common. It's a unified group of individuals interacting with each other, have common interests, common characteristics, common policies, common history. They may have a common locality but they also may be spread through a greater society but have this common bond. Unity, two words we would use, union, it comes from that, which comes ultimately from, from the Latin and the Greek for one. Oneness and identity, harmony, which means accord, a state of being made one, uh, unification, those who weren't one to start with become one in a process. A totality of related parts, a syst uh, systematic whole, Paul uses, and we'll talk about in a moment, the, the human body as a metaphor for the body of Christ, and we are a systematic whole, lots of parts put together that function together, uh, um, and so that's unity. Maturity, having completed full growth and development, having reached a desired state, having characteristics of that growth, development, or state. That's important, to have those characteristics that show maturity. Stability comes from maturity. It's a state of being sane, sensible, secure, steady, steadfast. And Paul wants us to see that stability is important in his people. All this comes through accountability, a state of being responsible, liable, answerable. And humility, having modesty, a low view of one's own importance. Not a total low view of oneself. We all have to know who we are and, and, and have to see our value, but it's a sense of importance in comparison to others. Um, freedom from pride or arrogance. That's what follows that sense of importance that we sometimes can have. My water isn't behaving. Um, and then this all, this all has to be bathed in humility. Having modesty, a low view of one's own importance. Freedom from, as I said, pride or arrogance. That has to be right at the heart of it um, uh, to keep us going together. And, and so as we do this, um, uh, the, the chapter 4 begins, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. 
There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul makes a transition here, as I said before, from the theological part that talked about the calling, now to the practical part that tells how to live out that calling as the people of God, the two sides of the balance. It, talk, it shows that, that maturity comes through humility, that pride is self-absorbed. Uh, it, it can come to the place of feeling very self-sufficient, no need of growth or change, or no need of other people. I, you know, I can do this on my own. I can pull myself up. I can make life work. But maturity, as Paul understands it, needs others. It needs the support of others. It needs others to be a mirror like the cartoon uh, or the person who understands us sometimes better than we understand ourselves, who can show us something we aren't seeing at the moment. That's important, isn't it? If we're going to grow past those things that are obstacles in our lives, we need somebody to help us see them. Someone to challenge us uh, to be disciples. But it's done in gentleness, as Paul says, not harshly. It's done bearing with each other in love. And that's a tough thing to do. If you're in a community and you're striving for unity to work together, there's always parts that rub against each other that are really tough to handle, aren't there? I mean, seriously. That's just the way it is with humans, right? It's just the way it is with human beings. But it says to bear with each other in love. We're different people. We've walked different pathways. We're carrying different loads. We're often confused, overwhelmed, fragile. And love then is the willingness to, 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 to do the best, to will the best for the other. It's not merely about ourselves. It's not really about our own issues. It's not really getting from God what we want or God uh, fixing us the way we'd like to be fixed. But it's a kind of mutual accountability. Not power over each other, not place, some above others. Not performance, you're falling behind, catch up. But it is humility that makes this work. And that, Paul says, works through the unity through the Spirit, a oneness of identity and purpose and function, a oneness under the rule of God who is over all. There's accountability to God, the Father, and that's our primary concern, that we be accountable to God because God is the one who's moving everything forward and we want to be with God and we want to be a part of what God is doing and therefore we have to be accountable, first of all, to God. Uh, even though the face of the church is human, and our leaders are human, which we'll talk about in a moment, but there's an openness to the Holy Spirit through Scripture that brings us together and allows us to be a fellowship of believers. And so he continues, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended? to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Don't get too confused by all that. It's really simple, okay? First of all, he says that grace has been given. It's a gift, remember, as Christ has apportioned it. We don't decide how Christ gives that grace. We may argue, mom loved you more than she loved me. Look at how she treated you and how she treated me. But we trust God, as we, sang, as we sang here today, that God knows and is wise and works in the, in the proper ways, that he is truly righteous. And therefore, he apportions as it is needed. 
And therefore, we're accountable to Christ. The Christ is the one who gives us the leadership we're going to talk about, who guides the church as his body. He is the head. He's bringing us together as a community gifted together. He, in, in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, if you ever read another list of gifts, they call spiritual gifts. They're different from this one uh, that, that he gives and so we might be built up together. The part that's so confusing simply talks about he descended is when Christ became human. When he was, we call it the incarnation. He, he became human. He, uh, God and human formed together in one. And so he came to the earth from heaven. And then ascended after his death and resurrection, uh, he ascended back to heaven to sit down at the throne of God and to rule forever and ever. And so that, don't get confused by all that. Uh, he descended to become human and he went up. The importance of that is that when he ascended, uh, he told the disciples in the upper room before he would leave them, he said, I'm going to leave you, but I won't leave you orphans. I'm going to send the comforter. He meant the Holy Spirit, who's going to come and be with you, and he'll be my presence with you for, uh, for the remainder. And so that's what it's talking about. When he ascended, he gave gifts. The Holy Spirit came upon, upon us and, and enabled us then to minister uh, for him. So Christ himself gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Get the flow of that. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Here again is accountability. Christ himself gave. It was his initiative, his responsibility. He gave to the community leadership who were given certain roles that needed to be done, that, need, that were needed by the whole to guide and lead. Maturity is to equip the people of God for works of service. We call it often discipleship, though it's, I was going to say in a moment, it's broader than that. We teach, we, the, the leaders teach, train, supervise, provide resources. They become examples and they act as guides. Uh, they, a guide is someone who has been somewhere and then comes back and leads somebody else to the place they've been, right? That's the picture. Until, he says, we all reach unity, oneness of identity, purpose, and function in the faith, in our common beliefs, the biblical and theological principles that undergird everything, that we can come together on those and agree on what those are so we can move forward in them, but even more, and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, this isn't just knowledge about Jesus. That's what the previous thing was about, about the, the biblical and theological principles. That's where we learn about Jesus. But this is more personal. It's not solely intellectual, but personal. It's a goal of discipleship to grow in Christ, to grow in relationship to Christ, to learn to hear the voice of Christ through his Spirit and to follow the pathway he gives. And that leads to maturity in the measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, not all at once, okay? It's not like someone just snaps their finger and says, okay, now you're perfect, move on. This is a lifelong journey. In our contemporary culture, we've, we've put a real roadblock in our places, and I really feel the need to stop to say this. We have what uh, sociologists and psychologists are now calling perpetual adolescence. It's not exactly new. There, were part, there, there have been uh, types of this all along, but today it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's an art form. Because now, 30 is the new 18. You've, you've, you understand that, right? You, you, you picture that. Often, in our culture, there's less demand 
for adult behavior and responsibility. And uh, we allow our young people sometimes, I'm saying this is the fault of those of us who should be doing better, we allow them to stay dependent and immature far too long. Unfortunately, in the church, we have developed the same habit that sometimes we would welcome Peter Pan's lost boys into the fellowship because we allow many followers of Jesus to never grow up, never become dependent, never need to stand on their own two feet. We hire professionals and we choose leaders, and they are expected to do the work while everybody else holds up the cards and says 6, 6.5, 7, 3.5, whatever, right? Those of you who remember the old Olympics remember the cards that, ever, that were held up and you looked at those and tried to get the average. We call it the 80-20 principle, that 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people, okay? And the 20% wants it to be done so badly that they'll go ahead and run away with it and let the 80% uh, tag behind, okay? Not good. That's not maturity. Uh, that's not unity. So Paul moves on, I think I'm on verse 14, right? Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. That never happens, right? There aren't any people who are, who are deceitful, right? Instead, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, that's a lot of us, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. No 80-20 here, right? We're all assigned, just like in the body. All, whenever a part of your body decides to say, I'm not going to do this anymore, it leads to trouble, doesn't it? Right? Lots of trouble sometimes. It's not, it's not that anybody can sit back and say, I'm not going to do this anymore, as each part Everything functions the way it's supposed to function together as a body. Then, he says, a direct result of what has preceded. Maturity, humility, openness, equipping leads to stability. That's what leads to stability. If we desire stability in our congregation, if we desire stability in our lives, there is a pathway to that stability according to the Lord in his word that Paul is sharing with us. Stability means not vulnerable, not susceptible, not manipulated, not overwhelmed. Infants, generally make poor life decisions, don't they? It's like, eat, poop, and cry, right? <laughs> that we grow together in unity as a fellowship of believers, not alone. In accountability to each other, that's important. To speak the truth in love. Not me saying to you, I'm going to tell you what I think and just because I feel like I should say it. Or just because I don't like your face and I'm going to put you where you belong. Right? That's usually what it means, isn't it? Speaking the truth in love. We only grow to maturity when we're willing to face the obstacles, the weaknesses, the failures, all the things in our lives that hold us back, that we can't get over, the wall out there that we can't get past. We, do, we, we, hold, we, we speak to each other in love, willing the best for the other. That's what love means. And it's mutual. Accountability is mutual. It's not one set of people holding the other set accountable. All human beings need accountability. All human beings need accountability of some kind. I mean, 
We've all been human long enough to know that's true, right? No matter what position a person holds, they need accountability. We're seeing that really clearly now, aren't we? Often congregations have fallen apart and continue to fall apart because their leaders have not been held accountable. They have been seen as above accountability. There is no such thing. Maturity, reaching the desired state that God wants us to reach, is adult-like attitudes and adult-like behaviors that that reflect Christ in us. And that comes by accountability within the community, growing together as each part functions properly. Uh, All of us have had automobile problems at times. Sometimes we've been stuck by the side of the road waiting for help. It it happens because some part of your automobile says, I'm not going to function properly, right? And there you are, stuck. Each functioning as it should. Not some moving ahead and leaving those behind. That's not unity. That's not community. Just because some get it doesn't mean they have the right to say to the other people, you don't get it, forget you. We're all in it together. It's it's growth under the head, Christ, for the purpose of serving together, and we do it in love, concern for each other. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer, must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking, They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Boy, he's really laying it on there, isn't he? Here, Paul is holding them accountable. Paul is the one who has been called by God to be an apostle, who's gone out and founded these churches, and now is acting, uh, at this point at least, as their pastor and their teacher. Eventually in Ephesus, Paul will leave Timothy and he will take over as their pastor and teacher. But right now it's Paul. And Paul's been given that position. Uh, He is the leader chosen by the Lord to serve them. And Paul insists, not because he has the power to, it's not like saying, hey, may I'm Paul and you're not, so listen to me. It's because they have seen the Lord in him and he has gained their respect. They know the Lord is working through him. And so he now is the leader who is there to guide them. They, they, he, Paul says you need to be proactive. You need to choose a different uh, pathway, and that's maturity. No longer characterized by the old life, but now characterized by a new life. Remember the whole idea of going one direction, following the world, and the Lord calls you and you repent, you turn around and go the other direction into the kingdom of God, right? That's what he's saying here. Put off the old, put on the new. One day I was getting ready to come to church and speak, and, and again, uh, in a very positive fashion, Susan said, I don't think you really want to wear that. So I took it off, and I put something else on, and she was right. <laughs> she was absolutely right, okay? And that's what Paul's saying. Hey, you don't really want to wear that, right? And he says, take it off and put on. The Ephesians were Gentiles. He says, you no longer identify with that old way of living. You're identified with a new way of living uh, and, and, and live it out. They lived in the Greco-Roman world, uh, lived in a culture a lot like ours, only uh, in some ways more extreme. They were very religious. They were religiously wealthy. Religion was everywhere, but they were morally poor. How does that happen? We're one of the most religious, uh, the United States is one of the most religious countries in the world, and yet we struggle with morality, don't we? 
but they grew up like their gods. They grew up like their philosophers, with the example of their political and economic leadership. And, and I'd say there's nothing new about that for us either. Those are our examples, and that's how we live. But Paul says now there needs to be a necessary change. That's not good enough for the people of God. Somewhere I'm up to 20. Right? They should have taken this away from me. <laughs> verse 20. Can you find verse 20? Somebody? Anybody? Oops, went too far. Got it. Thank you. That, however, is not the way you, uh, of life you've learned. That, the old way, the Gentile way of living. Not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You see the other side of it. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Again, the same kind of idea here. Uh, it's accountability to the Word of God and to the Spirit of God. They had been taught this by Paul. To, to read the scripture and learn from it, to follow the Holy Spirit. And he says, now continue following the Holy Spirit and, 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 uh, and, and leave behind that old way and follow the Spirit in a new way. And, and, and maturity is how this is formed, by laying the Word of God here beside the lives that we live here and comparing the two. That's, that's how it works. And so you have to know the Word of God to make the comparison. That's very important. So it's, it's making that comparison, and that tells us to put off the old and put on the new. This is real-time experiential. It's not just in our mind saying, okay, this all makes sense to me. It, it's actually doing it in real time. It's a process, it's a journey that is lifelong. It includes, again, as I said, the changing of attitudes because that's what changes actions. And then we become like God in true righteousness and holiness. Let me just add a quick word here. Righteousness, as the Scripture understands it, is very basic is the quality or the state of being right. Right in thought, right in action. You see that word right there? Righteousness is the, is the quality or the state of being right. As human beings, we don't have that by nature. Only God does. But Paul tells us in Romans that God gave us a righteousness, not our own in Jesus Christ. Again, that's the Holy Spirit coming into our lives and dwelling within us, making us the temple of God, the dwelling place of God. The Holy Spirit brings the righteousness of God into our lives and shares it with us that we might now think right and act right. Not because it's natural to us, but because something has happened to transform us. And so, therefore, remember, I have a professor once said, every time you see the word therefore, find out what it's there for. Right? It's important. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truth. He's getting right down to it, isn't he? Put off falsehood and speak truth to your neighbors, for we all are members of one body. There's that idea again. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. You notice that thing, the negative put off, the positive put on. The community needs to speak truthfully. That means to respect each other. When we tell lies to each other, when we doctor the truth, it shows a lack of respect for the other person. 
There needs to be respect for the body of Christ, for people who are called by the Lord, who are filled with God's Spirit and are temples of God's uh, Holy Spirit. And, as, and, and that pattern is there. Speech, truth. Attitude, not destructive anger that's meant to hurt, manipulate, and destroy. Deal with that anger, positive. Property, don't take, but learn to give. And that's maturity as he continues to look at various uh, uh, characteristics that are part of it. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind, the positive, and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as, uh, uh, as in Christ God forgave you. Again, this is, this is showing a sense of community and respect for each other. Again, in speech sensitive to each other's needs, a concern to benefit and not take away. It's accountability to the Holy Spirit. It says grieve not the Holy Spirit. Grieve is a personal word, isn't it? And in this consequence, in this place, it's because we sometimes think that being a child of God means that we kind of do our own thing, that we just kind of like apply these rules to ourselves as we want to apply them, and that there's no consequence to anyone else. It's just all about us, right? And, 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 and whatever we do, it's just between us and God, right? With no consequence to anybody else. That's kind of like one of our favorite mantras, just between me and God. But here, that would be taking our lives and holding them on our own, in a sense, ignoring, dismissing, uh, or, or uh, in, 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 through our personal actions, rejecting the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, saying, okay, Holy Spirit, I know you're there, but maybe this is about me, and I'm going to do what I want. Now, when, when, when other people reject us, ignore us, dismiss us, this comes very personal, doesn't it? We get offended, don't we? Well, why wouldn't the Holy Spirit, who is a person, be offended if we so treat him? And this is community, characteristic of community life, Paul says. And so do not, and okay, that's the one I just finished, right? So now we come down just for a few moments and let's pull us together a little bit. Paul call, says we're called together in community by Christ and the Holy Spirit with common interests to serve God, to serve others, with common characteristics, worship, fellowship, discipleship, service, evangelism, common policies, our confession of Jesus, our, our baptism, our ministry, our supportive ministry, all things that we, we hold uh, together, a common history of 2,000 plus years of the church following Jesus engaged in ministry. We're a part of that. In a common locality, Clarksburg Baptist Church joined together here as the people of God. Believers throughout Clarksburg joined together with Clarksburg Baptist Church. We're in a locality. But even believers throughout the United States, throughout the world, dispersed throughout society in general, but still together in ministry. Grace intersects when, it be, uh, when we begin. Uh, God begins working in our lives, calling us, equipping us, sending us, giving us his gift. And... Uh, we form community. We sense the, uh, we form community together when we accept, when we uh, sense that same grace in our lives. When we accept, sense acceptance of who we are, the way we are. When we are wanted, when we are valued, when we are respected. That's when community happens, right? And so, as God has shown us grace, we are called to show grace to each other. 
Unity by the common thread, the Holy Spirit running through us. If I, I thought about this, but I didn't because I might get a little bit of, uh, of a kickback from, from some people. But if I took a thread, a thread and needle and got a great big long piece of thread, and I started walking through here and just threading all of everybody's garments together so that we're all hooked to one great big thread, imagine that. That's the Holy Spirit running through our lives, and you can't get away from it, right? If you're a part of the community of believers, you cannot get away from that threading the Holy Spirit through the lives of every single believer. We are one, whether we like it or not, want it or not. Hopefully we do want it. But we are one in God's Spirit if we're the people of God. It's unity, not uniformity. That's important. Each of us is unique. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul uses the body as a metaphor, or the human body as a metaphor for the body of Christ, with all different parts functioning together. There, there's no uniformity here. Just a unity in purpose and function, right? That's what he's talking about. Not uniformity. We don't have to have a cookie cutter, Christians. Everybody look alike, sound alike, act exactly alike. In chapter 5, verse 1, in speaking of grace, Paul says, Be imitators of God and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. As God has gifted us with his love and mercy and kindness, so we would gift others in the same way. Maturity by the Spirit of God through our leaders, equipping and guiding through our community together again, where we hold each other accountable. Uh, this whole process of putting off the old, putting on the new, going the other direction. If you read chapters 4 through 6 of Ephesians and carry on uh, after this, uh, in 5 and 6, Paul begins to talk in details about relationships and how relationships work uh, in, in maturity, uh, measured by, not by relative human standards, but by Christ. Grace is not, grace says this isn't by human rules. It's not just me putting my foot down and saying this is what I want. Even if I'm a leader, I don't have the right just to say this is what I want. This is what I want you to do. It's not that. It's not a long list of legalism. Uh, legalism, the things that you have to do to, uh, uh, to gain the appreciation of, of your church and fellow believers. It's not what he's talking about either to human rules. Nor is it merit badges that we put on and carry around and but it's, it's, um, it's the heart of the Lord working through his people, and we're all growing together um, and progressing at our own pace, knowing that the body loves and cares and values us. And if we fall a little behind, someone comes along and helps us catch up. That brings stability, as he said. Human life is a natural growth cycle, and that can be used as a metaphor also the body of Christ. We're newborns, we're infants, we're children, we're adolescents, we're young adults, we're mature adults, and we're elder adults. Each stage shows gains, some gains over the other. Not in a straight line necessarily, but we know that something is happening as we progress through life, don't we? We can see it. We can look back and understand it. And that's what Paul's saying. And we don't expect a mature adult to act like a child. When they do, they jeopardize their own lives and they may jeopardize the lives of others. We've seen it over and over again. When adults act like children. Instead, we learn to take our place and to grow uh, and, and become mature. Grace, as each, as, as each progresses, we understand the challenges, the fears, and the failures that face us in grace. So we're able to walk alongside others. As I have come to a certain place in life, I can look back and see uh, how the Lord has led me to that place. Now I can look back at others who maybe are struggling the way I used to struggle. And draw, instead of criticizing them, draw alongside of them and help them through it. To be their partner. It, it, it's doing that. It's, it's, it's helping others instead of criticizing, instead of judging, instead of censoring. We show grace. We show mercy. We show forgiveness. We show encouragement. We give hope. 
It's important for, for us to see ourselves as God sees us and to see each other as God sees us, both as fallen human beings, now saved by grace, filled with His Spirit, and cherished and loved. Okay? All that's important. Accountability, being responsible, liable, answerable to God's Word, to God through His Word and His Spirit, that's the foremost. But God has chosen to hold us accountable through each other, to put us in the body of Christ, into a fellowship where we speak the truth in love, where it's not about power or position, but care and concern and compassion. We're all in the same boat. We're sinners saved by grace, all of us. And the goal of accountability isn't to kick people off the boat. The goal of accountability is to keep everybody on the boat as we go along. That's what it's about. All right? Humility comes from seeing God for who he is. When you, get it, when you truly come to the place where you get a sense of who God really is, it brings you to your knees. I mean, seriously, brings you to your knees. It, and, and, and sometimes maybe even your head falls and you can't bring it up. You don't have the power to raise your head because you have the sense that you're in the presence of something just way beyond anything you ever understood or could understand, the mystery of God. You can't put in words, you just sense that. And that kind of like says, okay, here's who I am in relationship to who God is. There's nothing for us to claim. It frees us from arrogance, from sense of self-importance. Each of us just does what God has designed us to do as part of the body. Now, I'd like to say one last thing. When you look at this, this is commonplace stuff, isn't it? I mean, seriously, what Paul's talking about here is commonplace stuff. He's not talking about the extraordinary. We, all, we, we really like the extraordinary, the extravaganza, right? That really, and we think sometimes church has to be the extravaganza. But there's no extravaganza here, is there? It's not sensational. It's not even heroic. Okay? You don't have to be a hero to be part of what God's doing. And it's not out of reach. Everything Paul talks about here is available to every, every child of God who's part of the people of God, led by the Spirit of God. It is mostly common sense. How do we get along? We tell the truth. How do we get along? We, we, are we concerned about other people's needs as much as our own? How do we get along? If someone falls down, we pick them up and help them uh, get along, right? Common sense stuff, right? So we are accountable to God's spirit as part of the body of Christ together, growing in maturity, and therefore enabled to serve with stability as witnesses to the grace of God in our lives uh, and throughout the world. Let us pray.